0: The woods are lovely, dark, and deep. Miles to travel before I sleep. Welcome to All Things Crime. Chris, hey, welcome to All Things Crime. Hi, Jared. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Sure appreciate you coming on. Not a problem. my pleasure. For those of you that don't know Chris Tapp served for 20 years in prison for a crime that he did not commit. And so incarcerated when you're innocent, that's, that's I, I can't think of anything worse. So why don't you introduce yourself? Give me a little bit of, back, of your background prior to the whole Angie Dodge incident. My
1: name is Christopher Tapp. Spent 20 years in prison for a crime I never committed. Uh, Before all this ever transpired, I lived here in Idaho Falls. I'm a born and raised, you know, Idaho Falls individual. I was pretty, lived a pretty much simple life here. I didn't know much. You know, I was a high school dropout. I had a drug problem, but I had a great childhood. I mean, I will never deny that fact. My mother and my father did the best that they could for me. And I just had a great upbringing. And I don't know what really else to say was... You know, I was just a young, naive individual before all this started. And now that transpired, I now get to become the same person I, not the same person I was, you know, with the drugs or anything else, but I get to still continue to be that lighthearted individual and that kind hearted and, and try to do everything I can to help somebody else besides myself. And that's what I truly was known for. And people will always tell you they, my laugh was, you could hear my laugh anywhere because I was just a good hearted
0: kid. Yeah, I appreciate that. If anybody watching this has any interest in learning about Chris Tapp's case, it started with the victim's name was Angie Dodge. And this was in 1996, I believe. She was just 18 years old and brutally murdered there in Idaho Falls, Idaho. And from there, I know the police story is It varies into various people that they investigated. It ended up focusing on you. We don't want to go into it too much right here, but ultimately everybody needs to understand is that uh, you confessed to this this crime and then you were sentenced to, what, 30 years? Uh, 30 to life plus 15 on
1: the murder, 10 fixed, 20 indeterminate, plus 15 years on the rape. Knowing
0: that you had not committed this crime, what were your thoughts when you were sitting in that courtroom and they said you were guilty?
1: It was a nightmare. I mean, there's no other way to explain it. It was just truly a nightmare
0: to have that verdict read to
1: me because no one, my attorney, myself, most, I I believe, you know, most of the courtroom didn't believe the jury was going to come back with a guilty verdict. And when they came with that back with a guilty verdict, it was just truly heart wrenching to know that my life was over for Mm. something I had no part of, and and it was truly hard to fathom. It It was even thinking about
0: it today. It just, it still hurts. It still hurts to know that was the end of it. Yeah. I honestly, Chris, I, I can't even fathom what you have gone through. And and I don't, I don't think more than a fraction of society can, but I think everybody would agree that just like what you just said, it was just a nightmare. And that's of all the worst case scenarios, the absolute worst thing that you could possibly go through is to be accused of something, especially as as horrendous as a rape and a a murder. And Angie was stabbed, I think, 16 times. So it was a brutal murder. And for you to be accused of that, and then convicted of that, all the while you were innocent, I can't even fathom how you survived this whole thing mentally. And that's, that's really one of the things that I wanted to bring you on is because when we met, uh, which was close to 20 years later, you had been not exonerated. First of all, before we get into actually how you were ev- eventually exonerated, let's, let's talk a, b- a little bit about how you survived mentally, especially in prison, knowing that you were innocent the entire time. It was truly
1: a nightmare to know to be stuck inside of a box, you know, for so many years and, and to be known that you can be thrown away just for that reason. And it was hard to fathom some years, you know, some days just to continue on. And it was just by my upbringing, you know, my mother and my father always made me look at the sunny side of life. I was always able to see the sunny side of everything and how bad everything could be, but to always make a little bit of sunshine out of it, how to make, the existence a little bit better, make a few good friends, or, or 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 just enjoy the day. That's how it truly was inspired. But every day was hard just to know that every morning you wake up and it's like a Groundhog's day. Every morning you wake up at the same time to go have you know, almost the same breakfast, to have the same lunch, to have the same dinner day after day, year after year. It was hard. It's truly hard to go through that. But somehow, some way, I was always able to find that little piece of sunshine in every day to make it a little bit better for me, to make it a little bit more, I shouldn't say easier to deal with, because there's no way I ever dealt with it easily. But it was just that little piece of hope that you hold on to, you know, in your heart, and your head, and every being that you have, knowing that you're innocent, that one day the truth will come out, and everything will be okay. And I think that's truly how I survived all those years. And even though prison does change you and make you a hard you know, a hard, bitter person inside. Because again, you can't show emotions in prison. You can't be anything but what they really show you on paper, mm-hmm. you know, when you come in as your crime or anything else. So you almost have to become that individual. And it's sad. It's truly sad that, you know, they take all humanity and strip it all away from you. But again, just knowing in my heart of hearts, be able onto that, never
0: give up the piece of hope that maybe
1: one day I'll be able
0: to walk home and be free. Wow. Again, just sitting here listening to you, Chris, I, I, I hope you fully understand understand that you are an absolute phenomenal person, just to be able to, to live through that experience. I mean, I I, w- I went through some military training, and, and I think the longest one was like six months. And, uh, and, you know, there's guys that are deployed for a year where, uh, you know, they're kind of on that Groundhog Day type of experience, but you did 20 years. So everything that I've done just pales in comparison. I think your story is so fascinating, not just on the whole criminal side and and how you were eventually exonerated, but also your emotional and your mental strengths that you have shown and, and shows you that your true character is just, it's just phenomenal. So let's, let's forward this a little bit. Well, I know you were reaching out, right?
1: Right. Oh, I reached out from the time I got a, after the, you know, the conviction came and the sentence came and soon as I was sent to prison, I started sending the letters out. You know, I had an amazing appeal attorney and she told me, hey, write letters to the Innocence Project, write letters to the Idaho Innocence Project, write letters of what would happen to you and maybe somebody will listen. So that's what I did. You know, I sent the letters out. and, And again, I wasn't I was a high school dropout. I didn't articulate really well at the time. And I wasn't really well schooled in how to explain things. I wrote a letter and it wasn't in depth. I just said, I'm innocent. Please help. Please look into my case. And again, a lot of the units projects passed me up because I just didn't do well enough. And then she was my advocate. She was my champion, you know, at that time where she was able to have the Idaho Innocence Project re-look into my case because she kept continuing, hey, he got a bad deal. He's innocent and he just got a bad deal. Please help him. Please look into it. And that's what first happened was the Idaho Innocence Project came on board and contacted me in and seven okay. and started to that's when they're like hey we're willing to take on your case because we've actually looked into it we've had students you know they're volunteers that actually watch some of the interrogations and they're like hey you need to help this individual so in 2007 the Idaho you know innocent project picked me up and now we fast forward three years in 2010 was the first I heard about Carol Dodge Angie Dodge's mother mm-hmm. start asking the questions about well, hey you might have the wrong individual and she started become an advocate for me fast forward two more years that, I did my first, you know, national televised interview with Dateline. And then, you know, the whole entire world opened up. Then they got to see what happened to me and how this conviction came down and how horrific it was. And then, you know, as the years went on, I you know, Judges for Justice came on board, the actual Innocence Project out in New York came on board, you know, and I did mm-hmm. countless more other interviews with 48 Hours, you know, the Stars Network, and still having, you know, Carol Dodge all this time, now I'll start going to the police and start, you know, showing up at my Hearings and start saying, Hey, out in true, you know, open light that I'm actually innocent it was truly an amazing thing to have all these people start rallying and coming together in my defense or or in my behalf to be my voice that no one would want to hear or believe. But all these people were starting to become my voice. And then the community came on board. And then mm-hmm. the community started doing rallies and just, you know, holding signs up when I would come to the courthouse for hearings. And it was truly inspiring to have. All these people to help
0: me. So how do you, how did that make you feel? I mean, knowing you were getting all this attention, but more importantly, that people that prior to like like I, m- I remember talking to Carol Dodge at one point saying, and she was saying that until she really started. Uh, looking at it objectively, she hated you. I mean, literally with a, a visceral hate because she believed that you had killed her daughter, which I totally understand. As a parent, I can't fathom how angry I would be to actually meet the person that I thought had had killed one of my children. And over time, she was able to kind of step back and, and look at it objectively. I 100% remember the day that she called MVAC systems just totally out of the blue and was saying, hey, I've done some research. And she was talking to me about Angie and, and the whole case. Basically, I all I was able to do is send her some information at which she forwarded on to the, the Idaho Falls police. And then not a lot happened you know, on my side. But then all of a sudden, we started hearing about, They got linked up with different people that were MVAC experts. And next thing you know, they were, you know, resampling the evidence. And then they resampled it again, try to get your DNA and no DNA was there. They found lots of DNA, but no Chris tab DNA. And so with, with that, especially once, once they, they did it the second time, and they couldn't find any of your DNA. Do you remember that? How was that news broke to you?
1: The news was broke to me over the TV. I was in prison still when all of it was going on. The, round of the MVAC testing came on. Uh, it made the local news in, in Boise. So I was a tier janitor at the time. It was after 10 o'clock and I was out there mopping and sweeping you know, the tier floor and somebody pounded on their door and said, hey, you're on TV. I said, huh? I said, what do you mean I'm on TV? He goes, you're on the news. I said, so I quickly, you know, ran to my cell, switched on to the news and I watched the story. It was truly inspiring. It was truly one of those times in your life where you have hope, where, you know, all the hope comes up. They continue to try to beat you down for so long. But that one glimmer of hope was truly amazing to finally put, you know, hopefully all the naysayers to rest. And it was so nice to have them, just to have that feeling of, hey, there is going to be hope. There's hopefully a light at the end of the tunnel for me. And this will not be the
0: end of. It just uh, honestly just gives me chills just thinking about it. But from our perspective, the the two people that we saw, well, three people really, that were the biggest advocates for you were, of course, Carol Dodge. And, and she is just amazing everything that she did for you, uh, even, even testifying at your hearing, which was I, I saw that I saw the recording of that. And that was amazing. And then, of course, Greg Hampikian from the Idaho Innocence Project, which I actually did an interview with him last week. And then obviously Francine Bardol from the West Jordan Police Department. And she's the one that actually did all the MVAC sampling, of, you know, on the evidence. And, you know, I know all three of those individuals, when they are working a case, especially with Greg and, and Francine, I've seen them pour through documents and the evidence and talk to tons of people about exactly what needed to happen. Honestly, I, I think some there was some divine intervention in there, in there as well, because had each one of them not done exactly what they did, who knows if you would actually be a free man today. I, to me, that, that ev- the way everything just comes together in a way that was able to mesh perfectly for you, to me, is such a phenomenal story. Uh, let's let's fast forward a little bit to the day that you you had that hearing and you were actually let out.
1: Uh, Bonneville County prosecutors, you know, put me on a special transport. Bonneville County came and picked me up. I had a hearing in April and they came pick me up in March and I just did a week long worth of interviews. You know, during that time before they came and got me, I just got done doing the last interview for the 48 hours. Bars Network came in at, to the prison. I just did the last interview for them. Uh, my attorney, John Thomas, uh, he went home, you know, that Wednesday night. So I called him Thursday to make sure he got home safe and stuff like that. He goes, Hey, they're coming to get you. I said, well, What do you mean they're coming to get me? They're, Bonneville County's coming to special transport you. We wasn't able to get you on the prison bus. If we were, we, you would have left Thursday morning, but Bonneville County's coming on Friday because the prosecute attorney wants to talk to you. And I'm like, all right. So, you know, and I was like, well, all right, we'll we'll see what this entails. Cause I didn't know. Hmm. So they came and picked me up on the Friday, sat in Bonneville County for about a week. And then they pulled me to admin, you know, me, my attorney. So they're like, well, Hey, we want to talk to you about ending this. And I was like, okay, we think you've served enough time. And we've, you know, we've done all the research. We've gone through everything that we could go through. We believe that the amount of time you served is enough for your crime. But we do, you know, ten years on, on probation. And I said, I, I can't sign off on this. I said, you've done every test humanly possible to try to put me there at the crime, or or the other person that you know said I committed the crime with, and no, nothing puts us at the crime scene. So no, I won't take that deal. And my attorney's like, just give them twenty years time fixed. The murder conviction still stands. The rape gets dismissed, and we'll let him go home. And they're like, "No, we're not going to do that. We need we need kind of some kind of reassurance." And so they got a mediator involved, and back and forth, and then finally, the state finally agreed to twenty years fixed, twenty years fifty three days time served, murder conviction, murder one still stands, time served, and we'll let you go home. And that's how it all transpired. Was uh, March twenty second of two thousand seventeen? Was that was the hearing that set me free. Even though I still had a murder conviction standing on my record. It wasn't the greatest deal by any means, shape, or form. But again, it got me to come home. It was able for me to start my life that I should have never lost to begin with anyway. But I had that opportunity to come home. And that's all I wanted was just the opportunity to come home. I, I, I told my attorneys. I told my family. I told We could still fight for my innocence but at least I'm home. We don't have to worry about violence. We don't have to worry about prison. We don't have to worry all about all the nightmares that my family had to go through. Carol, you know, her family had to go through, or I had to go through for these last 20 years. It could finally come to an end and not not a great end by any means, but at least it comes to an end. So that's, that's what happened was I signed that deal and March 22nd, they let me go. Fantastic day for you. Amazing day. I I will never forget that day. You know, it was so overwhelming. All the media coverage that we received, all the people that were in front of the courthouse when I walked out, you know, friends I haven't seen in 20 years, people I haven't even thought of in 20 years, and and people I didn't even know were just all sitting outside that courtroom waiting for me to come out. Right. It was so nice to have that warm welcome, but it was also so overwhelming. So many people, so many things, and the world changed. You know, I, I will never deny that fact. The world changed in 20 years. You know, I went from having cell phones the size of a walkie-talkie to to where a cell phone now will fit in the palm of your hand.
0: Right. It it was just truly overwhelming. So let's wrap up, uh, Chris. You're you're set free in 2017, (coughs) but you still have this murder one charge hanging over your head. You're trying to get back into a regular life, you know, get a job and all those kind of things. But you had a chance to go to Boise. And I got wind of that from Greg Hampikian. That's when I took the chance. I threw an MVAC in the car and I drove up there and I was like, man, if I get a chance to meet this guy and, and show him the system that helped him get out of prison, then I was going to jump on that. So just talk real briefly about that day.
1: That was a really inspiring day. I went up to Boise. I got a chance to meet you. I got to go to the
0: lab, you know, with
1: Greg, you know, at the Eye Witnesses Project. You know, I got to go hang out with Greg Hampikian and the whole Eye Witnesses Project. So it was fun to see how the machine worked, because again, you know, DNA changed in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. So just to see, like you explained it to me, it's like a vacuum, just Mm -hmm. sucking up every piece of everything that was inside of any article of clothing to be able to put everything as a whole, I guess is the easiest way to explain it. So it was a great chance to be able to see this new technology and and the advancement of the world. Like I said, you're you're in a coma is the easiest way to explain it. You're in a coma for 20 years, 30 years, 10 years, whatever it is. But for me, it was 20 years I was in a coma. So the whole entire world changed and I got to see part of the world changing and Mm -hmm. play with it and to see what helped get me released to come home. That was truly inspiring and that was truly helpful for me to see that.
0: Yeah, that was a great day for us as well. So the, the best news out of this entire story is using genealogical DNA, the Idaho Falls police and, and the other agencies that were working in this finally found the guy that actually killed Angie Dodge. So take me to the day that you heard that news.
1: Again, you know, it, just by, you know, strange state of affairs, I had another friend, he sent me the link that uh, one of the news agencies here at Idaho Falls was putting out about the press conference they were holding. So mm-hmm. he sent me the link. I I clicked on the link and I watched, you know, I read what was going transpiring. So I quickly got on the phone. I called Carol. I called, you know, my attorney, John, and I was like, and, and bad state of no one answered the phone. So John called me back and I explained to him what was going on. He didn't even know. And then I was on the phone with uh, with John and then Carol was calling me. And I said, "Hey, I got to go. I got to talk to Carol. And then I got on the phone with Carol and she says, they got him, Chris. 100% they got him. She says, I can't tell you anymore. She says, you're going to be okay and that was it. So that was the phone call. So me and my wife, we were super excited, but again, we were super scared and, and, and didn't know how everything was going on. And, and right. there was just so much. So the next day when they held the press conference, you know, me, my wife, you know, Greg had PK drove down from, Boise, you know, I was with Carol and her family, and and they told us the news that they caught.
0: Yeah. It was
1: truly an inspiring day. It was
0: truly worth it. Yeah, that's fantastic. I I was honored to be able to be there the day that we went back up into that courtroom, and you were actually exonerated. Tell me about what your thoughts and, and how that day felt. Probably
1: the best day of my life to be able to finally be recognized, to be heard, to be known that I was worth something, you know, to finally have my name cleared for all them years that my family, you know, my mother and, and to my father passed, you know, stood beside me to know that their son never had nothing to do with this. And for them to finally be recognized for all the disrespect that they received for all those years to finally have their day with me to stand up and tell the court that this is my life and I get a new start of it and this is my second chance of life and I can continue on moving forward and becoming the person that I knew I could become. That was such an important day to me to have the whole entire courtroom behind me, the
0: gallery, just stand up in a voice and clap when the proceeding was over. I was yeah. one of them. I'll tell you, that was an amazing day and I 100% remember uh, you standing up and saying, your honor, is was just such... A blessing to be able to actually clear your name and and to be able to know that the TAP name was not affiliated with Angie Dodge's murder. Fantastic day for you. Well, listen, Chris, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you coming on here and sharing your story. All Things Crime is about everything from crimes itself to how they're investigated and prosecuted. But there's also another side to it. And ultimately, our entire system is established to find the truth and to find justice. And even though you were robbed of 20 years of your life, the fact that you are the man that you are is actually just so inspiring to me. I hope you understand how much we appreciate and really honor you for being the the person that you are. Because frankly, I think a lesser man would be just the most bitter, the most angry, out for vengeance type and, and I have, haven't ever really seen that from you. And it's, it's truly inspiring. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for letting me be on your show and be a part of it. Trust me, Chris, the honor is, is all mine. And, and I just, it's a blessing to be able to call you a friend. Thanks, sir. Appreciate hey, thanks again for coming on. And you know what? Hope to, Hope to run into you again soon. I hope to see you soon too. Thank you for listening to All Things Crime. We are so grateful for all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this, please give us a positive review so other people can find it as well. Have an amazing All Things Crime Day.